Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded September 26th, 2014. We are recording on a Friday, which is kind of weird for me. I don't usually record on Fridays, but uh, I wanted to make sure we got this in. Unfortunately, we've had some scheduling issues, and I wanted to make sure I got to talk to my guest today, who is joining me on Skype tonight. Jason Washburn, founder of Talent Strike Studios. Yes. And Jason and Talent Strike Studios have a project on Kickstarter right now that we are obviously going to talk about as we go along here. But of course, first and foremost, Jason, I've got a few warm up questions and, uh, and then we will uh, have some conversation around getting to know you and why you are in the game industry. Are you ready, sir? I am. Hit me. All right. Starting with, of course, our first warm-up question is, and you can uh, answer this as specifically or generally as you want, but other than designing games, what do you do for a living, sir? Well, for the last 16 and a half years, I've been a law enforcement officer. I have a couple years to go to hit my 20 and then decide if I'm going to stay or retire and move on to something else. Previous to that, I served the United States military. And uh, previous to that was in the professional singing realm for a short amount of time after uh, college. That is a wide uh, realm of of occupational opportunities there, sir. (laughs) It is. It is. I also do stuff on the side, too, through the business. So I design sets and scenic design. And primarily for the last five years, I've been a professional props designer. And I would... Uh, costume designer, but more on the hard parts of a costume, you know, armor pieces, weaponry, things like that. Nice. So just the like set and costume kind of stuff, or do you do like any of like makeup or, or any of that kind of stuff as well? Or is it just the set and costume kind of stuff? No, I, I actually, I, I kind of do a lot that goes on with that. I was raised in the theater. My dad was a musician. My mom was a musician. And they did a lot of theater uh, growing up. So uh, I was on stage probably four and a half. And then from then on, that was that consumed our lives. That's what my parents did. That's what we did. So I kind of grew into it um, through that. I had artistic skills. So then they just kind of took over with some of the things that um, come along with, with that. So as an adult, what I've been able to do is I direct for youth theater. Um, I also do sets for, I guess, uh, regional theater in the area in Phoenix, and then got into props and, and bigger props. And so some of the larger scale things, I built a plant for Little Shop of Horrors a couple years ago uh, for a local theater. And then uh, not last year, the year before, I did The Dragon for Shrek, the musical for the Herberger Theater in, in uh, Arizona, which is a big theater downtown. That was a, an undertaking. It was 30-foot dragon in length, and he was about uh, 12 feet tall and took five puppeteers to run it, but uh, <laughs> built it in my driveway. So those are some of the things that have kind of developed out of my my skill and the, for of the arts and manufacturing and then coupling that with the theater portions. Nice. I was just trying to see if there was any uh, potential in the future of us being able to root for you on like face off or something. <laughs> um, I, that's funny, man. A lot of the people that know me in the, in the theater world out here in Arizona, they always say that when you go on that, the last makeup 
bit I did professionally was uh, I did a Hunchback of Notre Dame version of that at uh, the Peoria Performing Arts Center. And I did the makeup for um, Quasimodo. So built a prosthetic and did all that uh, for him. That was the probably the last prosthetic piece I did makeup wise, but I do have professional makeup credits uh, on my resume as well. So it's kind of, it's kind of hard sometimes when I'll get calls to do different shows, different things. And I got to decline if I'm already in too many other things. All right. So then I usually like to ask what makes you a geek, sir? Oh, well, um, I realized at birth that that's what I was. Um, <laughs> now I, you know what? I think, I think more probably like most people, you, I don't know. In the, I mean, I was in grade school in the early eighties and, Star Wars was huge then. I mean, big. Uh, but there were things, I mean, like it was okay to like Star Wars, but it was not okay to like Star Trek. It was okay to play with Star Wars action figures, but it was not okay to play with G.I. Joe figures. That made you. So there were some things like that, at least where I went to school and grew up. So, you know, and there's some of the people you hang around. I mean, uh, I think one of the first uh, big things was me and my buddies, we would play crossbows and catapults really old game dexterity type and you're talking about that at school and and uh, you know kids make funny uh things like that so that's i guess when you realize okay there's people who are into sports and that's the cool thing and and all that and that's not really me plus i was in phoenix boys choir which is a classically trained choir i was in that um, maybe eight eight or nine is when I joined that. And I did that for three or four years. So, and I was on, I was, you know, on stage doing musicals, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that really separated me in, you know, as a younger person from uh, that mainstream type stuff. Okay. We always like to tell people, you know, that you can be a geek about just about anything if, as long as you have the passion level for it. So do you have any geek level passions for something that, uh, the typical person might not consider geek related? Probably. I mean, probably I, I have a, a couple of things that I, I got into through opportunities in theater. So uh, fundraisers and help and for, you know, kids that are less fortunate, some things like that. So, but it's, it's interesting because that kind of crosses over into the cop world and I'm able to draw on some of my resources there, you know, around Thanksgiving and Christmas and doing things for kids that, um, you know, just don't have the same opportunities uh, and it's nothing, no fault of their own. We did a thing a couple of years ago for kids whose parents and they don't have any parents. Um, they passed away either suddenly or medically or some, you know, some form of that. But these are kids that just don't have that. So they are in the system. So we did a, a thing for that. Um, so there's things like that that are not, I wouldn't consider in that realm, but I'm extremely passionate about those things when I'm involved in them. And uh, I'm sure my wife would uh, agree that they, uh, I get all consumed sometimes by what I'm working on. So I have a, I guess, you know, you get into that, you know, that fix, I don't want to say fixation, but you get into that rut and you're like, okay, this is what I'm working on and it's got to make it. It's got to do what it's supposed to do. And I'm not going to rest until it does what it, and that's, that's kind of where my passion level lies for what I'm working on. Those are the warm up questions. So now, uh, mm-hmm. uh, now most of the stuff and is just going to come through like a conversation that we have here, uh, and, sure. and whatever kind of pops in my head usually. So I apologize in advance. <laughs> no, don't. That's awesome. <laughs> so I'm sitting here listening and you know, you've got the, the, the musical background and the, and the 
art background and and theater background and and law enforcement and all all these all these different things. So where does game design come in for you? When does that become a thing for you? Well, it's I think I designed a you know I think I got into games as a kid, so I'm doing all that stuff and and uh, you know of course the. Dungeons and Dragons thing, you know, that started in the 70s. I didn't ever really get into like a heavy route, but uh, my group of friends, we messed around with that a little bit. But I think for us, it was cooler to make our own, you know, your our own uh, maps and our own dungeons and our own stuff and um, then steal things out of, okay, well, we're going to have this monster. Um, <laughs> where did you get that? Well, I made up the monster, but I'm using these attributes out of this book. So uh, I guess that's kind of where for me and, and off and on back and forth and back and forth. And then of course, growing up in the video game age that, I mean, that's probably really where it mostly lied for me for uh, most of my younger life and then uh, console gaming and things like that. But uh, I was into, you know, Warhammer uh, very early on um, space Hulk uh, first edition 89. So some things like that, that kind of, always had that door open and doing things in theater led it to be like, okay, this is your creative side. This is your creation. So taking that and then doing that. My first game I ever really designed was I was, well, junior high and it was a like a space adventure game. I had made the complete prototype um, stealing pieces from other games. And I remember building it on the, on the uh, dining room table and making my little brother play it. <laughs> You're playing this game with me. So he's three years younger than me. Um, but we, you know, we grew up, we shared a bedroom, so we were pretty close. Uh, I guess that's, you know, probably was maybe 12 or 13. And so we have this, and you know, you go all the way, the whole night, you you make cards for it and you didn't, everything's got to be done by hand, you know. So you spend, uh, you know, weeks working on this thing. And, and I, we, that was probably my first foray into that where you realize, okay, I, you know, I don't know how I got there, but this is out of my head. This doesn't exist anywhere else, but from within me. So, and then it just kind of grew from there. And uh, some other things helped me to learn how to get stuff that's inside your, because that's, that's really what it is. What is anybody can think of all that stuff and have an imagination. That's what's wonderful about being a human being, but being able to take that imagination and what you can create and put it out there. However, that is, if that's through drawing or painting or a writer does it through text or, uh, you know, as a singer, I do it through music. And so being able to take those things and make somebody feel a certain way by taking that uh, creativeness and putting it and packaging it. And I don't think it matters what package you put it in. If you go into a museum, you look at a piece of art that makes you feel a certain way. Just like if you listen to somebody sing a song you really like. Or you play a game that you're, you know, why are games our favorite games? Well, this is my favorite game because I feel this when I play it. Well, that's an experience. So it's all based on that, at least for me. That's kind of the drive for me. Before I ask the next question, I'll just uh, uh, point out that I believe that you are a uh, fellow brother in arms as far as coming from the uh, club that had to originally color in their own dice. Am I correct there? Uh, these uh these 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 kids today man with their their pre-colored dice i don't know (laughs) oh yeah back in the day with the old color uh, the old crayon that came in the box so you could fill in your dice so you could read them when you rolled them (laughs) right definitely yes i agree with you it's 
that is, you and I are the same, my brother. <laughs> you kind of answered as far as some of where your original passion came from to maybe start designing games as a, you know, just as a hobby or love of it. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a clear line in my mind where you go from, you know, almost every gamer has a couple things that they, they always think of. It's, it, you know, it's always the, I want to run a game store and I want to create my own game, but not everybody can do that. And not everybody does do it. Uh, mm-hmm. So for you, when did designing and, and potentially publishing a game become something that you were willing to pursue as part of a business side of things? Oh, okay. Well, um, I don't remember how many years ago now, maybe four, uh, five, um, probably more like four-ish. I was doing building props for Stephen Hunt Sondheim's Into the Woods at a local regional theater. And uh, I met a guy um, by the name of Kyle Olson, and uh, he had just moved. Um, and I had known his brother-in-law. I was a police officer with his brother-in-law. And he said, you need to meet my brother-in-law. You guys are really probably born of the same parents, um, secretly somewhere you were separated at birth. <laughs> I ended up meeting him and, uh, he's a writer and that was kind of the catalyst for it. He worked for, um, uh, White Wolf and, uh, they had a game, I think it, and I was, I mean, if I remember right, Nomad was a game, uh, and he was part of that and there then. So he had been in that world a little, the professional side of things a little earlier than me. And we got to talking and it kind of started out for us through the, through the theater, but he, one day we were sitting there. I don't remember exactly when those things happened, but he was talking about a game that he always wanted to make and he never did. And some people he had told, you know, earlier, he said, well, 10 years ago, people laughed at this. And when he told it to me, I was like, that's not funny. That's freaking awesome. What do you, (laughs) what? So that's the first thing that we went into so that game was called click we actually did a kickstarter right after i mean kickstarter was in its infancy pretty much it wasn't highly known um i didn't know about it uh, kyle did he's like well we ought to try this go go look at this but that was back when you said i have an idea and i drew it on this napkin and then you take a picture of your napkin and you put that on your campaign and people go oh well that's a cool idea let me back you Yep. which is it's not anything like that now. So we started working on this idea um, for the, a game that uh, called Click, which is based on high school clicks and kind of based it off Mean Girls and, you know, The Breakfast Club and that whole thing where you have all these genres of kids in school. So to be the coolest girl in school and, and then rule the click, and that was the, a catalyst for the game. So... He had this idea and then just started putting mechanics together. You know, he used to make it a card game. And so he, there was a game that he played, Lunch Money. I'm sure you know that, familiar with that. And yep. <laughs> so he's like, well, you know, we, they did pictures. And so we kind of had fleshed out all the, all the rules and everything. And our course, just like everybody else, our first version is on three by five cards, you know, and you can't shuffle them. You can't do anything with them. They're horrible. So you're, you're going through and you're doing that. And, you know, at the same time, of course, my brain is like 5 million miles ahead. Uh, okay. How's the art going to look? What are we going to, and, you know, so it's, it's kind of interesting, but that was the, that was the first serious. And, you know, we took that all the way out. We didn't fund, but there was a gentleman from Wolverine games over in Hanoi, Vietnam that took notice and 
contacted us and uh, wanted to make it an app. So we entered a contract with him for that, off of that campaign. But that was it. That was my first attempt at uh, a game and, and those kinds of things. So is is that kind of the starting point for Talent Strikes Studios, or did that come along after that? No, uh, we had, I had formed Talent Strike before that, and we actually at the same time were producing uh, live theater, children's theater. So uh, we wrote um, primarily Kyle would write the scripts, and then um, we would go over and brainstorm and talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and then he would revise them. We actually produced some shows um, that uh, I got some backing and, and funded them. So we were doing that. We did that probably first. And then the, the game idea, because we're both gamers, kind of came into the same time. It's like, okay, well, two of us together, you know, are stronger than one by himself. It's very much like a Wonder <laughs> Twins thing, you know. So you realize that your talents work well with the other person's talents. And then you're able to, you know, just kind of fit it together. And before that, you never met anybody or, or had that inkling because there was no there's no basis or substance for it. So us being together provided that basis, that substance for those things. And, and uh, so of the different ideas that, of course, we talked about, that was the first one that really had enough meat to it to where you could make a game out of it. So is Talent Strikes, is it still kind of a all-encompassing studio or are you kind of focusing it in now on the game side and potentially that's almost a two-part question, but are you potentially also thinking of it as a publishing avenue? I am not opposed to doing the publishing avenue, but I'm going to tell you that's brutal. (laughs) Oh man. You know, I've met some people that do that and spent some time with folks that do that. And while, you know, it's awesome that they, it's just, I don't know that that's for me, but I don't really push talent strikes and and anything else except for, you know, I'm a graphic artist, I'm a graphic designer, and um, I also do, you know, crazy manufacturing stuff. So I use it for that. And I consider them in the same realm when, like, for instance, I produced a cool box for Doug for Gothic Doctor yes. over the summer. And while I, I believe that Yes, as a, as a game designer and those things and wanting to do those things, I don't want to give up on uh, or, you know, not do those things anymore. I wouldn't want to just become a publisher or just solely, okay, make games, publish games, make games, publish games. Um, I can't just do that. I mean, even right now, mm-hmm. while I'm in the midst of my Kickstarter and trying to get, you know, this, the thing rolling a, as we need it to be, uh, I'm working on a Millennium Falcon uh, X-Wing case for uh, the shock. I'm working on a wooden case that I'm hand painting for uh, King Down for SAR and some other things like that. I was doing props for uh, that open two weeks ago. This weekend is the closing weekend for um, Arabian Nights. So I was working on props for that as it was coming as my Kickstarter was, we were getting ready to go. So I can I can never get out of doing that. And then, of course, if you follow me on Twitter, all the sketches I tweet out all the time and the art that I, you know, something will happen. And then I'm like, OK, I got to do a piece of art for that. So, 
you know, I'll drop whatever I'm doing and I'll take 10 minutes and then throw it together, bang, 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 and then kick it out. So Suzanne will make a joke or, um, you know, somebody will do something and, and then I'm like, okay, I got to go do some art for that. So that's kind of, I never want to give that other stuff up. So if I do, uh, do, and I do, I want to, I, we have more games we want to design. We have, I mean, just, you know, there's a big long line of them. So I don't have any problem doing that, being my own person that does my own stuff. Do it, will I step out and do other people's things? Maybe if they're special things or that person is special to me in, in that realm. But um, I don't know that I would go to, say, an unpub or anything like that and say, hey, uh, I've successfully published X, Y, and Z. Would you let me publish, you know, your game? Kind of. I don't know that I, I would do that. That's I, hats off to those guys because <laughs> I'm telling you, it is, it's brutal. And for those people that are going through what I'm going through right now, they understand. But, you know, you have that monicum, you have that uh, thought in your brain. Well, I could probably do this. I'm an intelligent person. And <laughs> wow, it's, it's rough. I, you know, I'm like, um, Patrick Nickel. Oh my gosh. That, that guy's awesome. Um, I had the rare pleasure of spending 10 hours. He came up from Tucson and did a ride along with me on my police car for 10 hour shift. And, you know, uh, and I met him previously, you know, I knew him before that, but, uh, that, you know, just all the stuff that he incurs and he has to, that he does, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, it's, I don't know that I could do that. So, uh, that's a very fair answer. You know, I always talk about the spectrum of, of different people that I talk to. And there are people that are very much, you know what? I just want to design and, and pass my games off to other people so that I can continue to design. Uh, all the way to, uh, I, like I said, I've talked to at least one person that was like, we, tr- we were going to design a game. We decided not to. That wasn't our thing, but we really love the publishing side. So they got into publishing and, and, and everybody in between. So I, I'm just always curious where everybody falls, especially when somebody takes their own project on to Kickstarter. You know, is it why that came about? And actually that's, that was kind of where I was going to potentially lead into, uh, cause we will, kind of make the transition here in a little bit and talk specifically on Hooch, but maybe to kind of lead into that, what went into your guys' decision to take Hooch on to Kickstarter and, and self-publish it versus uh, shopping it to other publishers? I think when you, that's a, that's a cool, cool question because when you think about what that's going to be for you, I don't think that when you're designing a game and you're sitting there with the folks and you're, then you play test, you design, you place and you're like, okay, now I got something that works. It's, it's, you know, I don't know if awesome is the right words, but it clicks when you design something and then it, you play it and you're like, okay, this is horrible. No ghastly. Nobody's going <laughs> to, nobody want this thing. It's every game I put on the table the first time, Jason. Right. So, but that's a wake up call for you, you know, and you, as, as somebody who's trying to do that, because you go through the, all the pains of whether you're doing it by hand and using a razor blade on a thing and cutting out hexes or squares or cards or printing, whatever it is that you do for your game. And, you know, then you're like, okay, but if there's enough here, we got to work on it. We got to work on it. We got to work on it. For me, it's more about just time and, and money to shop a game. It's not cheap. I mean, people think that it, unless you're hooked in, I think that once you get one or two that go, then it's easy. Uh, or not, you know, not that it's like, Hey, man, this is like a piece of pie, but it's easier. You're already out there. They know what's going on. But that first one, it's like anything else that's the first whatever in your career or life or whatever it is. I mean, if I want to do that with Hooch, I'm going to have, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. Unpub doesn't come to Phoenix, Arizona. 
Um, Gen Con is not near Phoenix, Arizona. There are some things that are, but the big ones where you're going to hit the people that, you know, the biggest amount of people. And if you're spending a thousand dollars for an airplane ticket and a hotel and possibly a rental car and, you know, those kinds of things and time away from your kids and your family, you know, you got to make it count. So you don't want to, you want to go to one where there's going to be the potential. Okay. This one only has five, whereas this one has 15 people who are going to be there looking at you. And then all the design houses that really don't accept things. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of companies out there that make games that they don't take submissions and then finding the one that's right for your game. You know, some companies only do certain games or they are not in their wheelhouse, you know, and so they're not going to really go out of that because they have a, a following and they have a fan base and that's what their fans like them to make. So I guess that's kind of what made the decision for me is just that if I want to do that, then I'm going to have to take three trips somewhere during that year and I have to have all the components. I'm one of these guys that I can't, I can't have crap components. I mean, the, in my prototypes that went out that I sent out, and just as an example, the crappiest part were the little circle tokens I punched out with a, an, you know, an inch circle punch on cardstock. You know, everything else was, you know, a, above that. So for me, it was the cost, just not being able to, to do that. We just decided, okay, well, there's this platform you can run it. I mean, it's, oh my God, stressful is, whoa, you're like your Mach 5 with your hair on fire. But, you know, that's where you decide, you know, you can't feasibly, okay, that's not realistic. I can't get to three or four different events or conventions or anything like that with this game. And Hooch is not a, hey, let's sit down and play Hooch. And then 10 minutes later, we're doing something else. So it's a meaty game. There's a lot to it. And I don't know that I could pitch it in a, you know, the elevator pitch. I don't know that I could do that with this game. Um, uh, that's, that's an unfortunate end of that. Cause this is where I was going to make the flip and have you do your elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there, I have things about it that are awesome, but I, it's just knowing, I guess knowing what to say. I, I've never, I don't know. I sold cars in the mid nineties. Um, so, I mean, I, and I'm, I did okay with it. I didn't suck at it. So, I mean, I know I, I can talk and that's, I have the gift for that. And, but I don't know. It's hard for me to, it's my own work. You know, I think some people are good at that and some people are not. It's like when I go and sing, I've sung in front of 45,000 people before at a concert. And then a lot of people come up to you and they tell you how good it is and wonderful and all those things. But, you know, I'm sitting there in my brain going, man, I was, you know, I was probably sharp on this. No, I was behind on this. I yeah. could have done that better. And, that's just who I am. So I, I, I think it's kind of interesting. <laughs> One, I did sales for a while and, and my bosses probably didn't think I was all that great at sales just because I, I wasn't the slick salesman and, mm-hmm. and I would tell people, no, that's that you don't want to buy that. That's, that's not what you're looking for. And, <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, those are the people that always came back, you know, and, and we're like, right. well, you, you know, you, you were up front with me on this. So now I'm looking for this. And, and I actually had like three or four customers that followed me from store to store. And, and each, each time I left a store, the person running that store was always kind of upset because they knew people were going to be leaving with me. But at the same time, they're the first ones to tell me that, I, you know, you're not, you're not selling right. <laughs> like, right. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, completely understand that. And then for this bad boy, whenever I'm editing, I, I, I always, I, I've told the story before, but especially the very first podcast we ever put out, 
by the time I got done editing it, I I threw my headphones off. I looked at my fiance and I was like, we're not talking anymore the rest of this weekend because I cannot stand the sound of my voice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And that's <laughs> and that's what it comes down to, how you feel about, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. And, and uh, I think it's I, I, well, I understand that immensely. All right, so I, I maybe won't specifically say elevator pitch, but this is about the the part, and I really want to kind of start talking about some things hooch related. So, sure. uh, why don't you give the listeners a rundown on what hooch is and what this project's all about? Hooch is a, I guess, resource um, hand management card game uh, set in the what I like to say the seedy or gritty underworld of prohibition. So. Taking that theme, that monicum, you're going to run a criminal syndicate and you build it from the ground up. So you start with nothing. You start with nobody on your payroll. You start with no uh, storefronts, no way to move any of your um, hooch. And that's what you're doing when you play the game. You, you start out as a syndicate leader and now you're, you're going to start picking up people to put on your payroll and they do specific things for you. So that's what the, in a nutshell, that's what the game is it's all about building your payroll and making your criminal syndicate the most respected and productive syndicate in temperance town which is where the game takes place you said it's it's a card game but it's definitely a a meaty there's a lot of decision making and 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 plotting and and things you need to do and it's not a like you had kind of said earlier it's not your sit down for 10 minutes sit down for even 20 minutes kind of game there's a lot going on here and you're you're going to kind of get into uh the game and and what you're doing and and battle it out for uh being the top crime syndicate really yeah and and that's i mean as we developed it and and uh worked on it i mean all these awesome things came about. And and that's, that's really it. I didn't want to design something. I mean, that's not what's going to come out of, uh, come out of me as a designer. If, as far as this, uh, very passionate about this time in history. And when we decided, okay, let's, let's make a game about this. So I spent a couple months, uh, went and got books, watched, uh, documentaries, um, read a ton of stuff on the internet, uh, ranging from, uh, you know, kind of the birthplace of some of that stuff in Kansas city to the crime families and some of those things in, in um, New York. And so I spent, a, a, I mean, a fair amount of time, a couple months going through all those things before we kind of got into it and understanding what it really is. And, and I think that looking back now on the other side, that's what I wanted the player to feel. And I think you feel that when you're playing, there's, there are a lot of choices. There are a lot of decisions. But if you think about it, a guy that's running a criminal syndicate, uh, he has a lot of choices. Um, you know, where are they going to unload their boots? Who are they going to give it to? Who are they going to partner with? Who are they going to pick up? You know, what information out there in town is important to them so that they can blackmail somebody and put them on their payroll and then abuse them, use them. Um, and that's what that time period was. Uh very much when you get into reading it and studying it. So you have to make that come through or in the game where it's not true to what you're trying to produce. This isn't fluff to me. When you play an event and you're going to go play Firebug or you're going to play Button Man, which are uh, cards that are uh, address somebody else's storefront, those are things that happened on a you know daily basis sometimes you know, burning out somebody's ability to make money or blowing up the storefront and killing people. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that when you really look into it. So 
I really wanted that to come across, and I think it does. I mean, we put limitations on it that help with the with uh, your orders and things like that, so you're not sitting there going, uh, because we had the game in that state at one point, and you were like, oh my god, you just the okay, we got to do something with that. So um, as we developed it, that's where all that depth comes in, and it's it's like very sandbox type game. So I wouldn't say it's very it's linear. It's you know it's very encompassing, and there's a lot of things out there that you can do on any given turn, which is really, to me, is cool because that's what it feels like. You know, I'm in command, I'm in charge, and I got to manage all these different things. And you have to think about that. And that's that's what they did. Al Capone had, you know, hundreds of people at his disposal and money and all that. So I really wanted to get that feeling in there as a designer. I, I think you've done a, a great job of, of that. And I'll, I'll just let you in on this. Like my, my fiance is usually our casual gamer perspective. And, uh, she, if it, if it's going to go more than an hour is pushing it for her and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, because of the theme and because of, of what you're presenting here, uh, she actually wants to sit down with me tomorrow night with this one. So we, we're, uh, Jordan's going to come over again tomorrow night and we're going to sit down and, and give it another play tomorrow to see, uh, if, uh, her love of the theme can, can overcome her only wanting to be a casual gamer, uh, side. So, it, it, you know, you, you've drawn her in. Which is not well, that's, not easy to do. Well, thank you. That's cool. It's funny because we played last night, and I had um, I had uh, Mike Wilster. I can't, I would not be where I am on this game without uh, him. Uh, Kyle and I came up with the idea, kind of fleshed out that idea, and then Mike Wilster is a works with me uh, in our regular job and he's a huge gamer and he worked there. He came, you know, years after I was there. And uh, so we kind of met and we've developed a a wonderful friendship over this. So last night he's over and we're playing and he brought his wife and uh, she is not the same as your wife. Um, She played some stuff and, you know, we'll put her big toe in the shallow end kind of thing. (laughs) But she loves this game when we play and, um, you know, she'll, they'll come in the door and she's already calling out what syndicate she's going to play. Uh, so no one else gets it before she does. It's hilarious. So I had a, a, a guy over last night, first time player for it who backed it today, uh, was awesome and actually interviewed them after playing, which I'm going to put up on the Kickstarter just so people can see, Hey, this guy just sat down and played. He's a gamer for a long time, but this is how he felt about his experience. And I interviewed her from a, a, a you know, from a woman's point of view, um, playing this game. How do you feel about that? And then somebody who's more, um, I wouldn't even say a casual gamer because, she doesn't uh, do that, but she just said she loved it. The theme is awesome, and it, it carries the the theme allows it to carry the weight of the game. Is how it, most people explain it, which is cool for me as a designer because being able to get those themes in there, uh, I think that's what really makes it what it is, and gives you those feelings and, and those things. You know, when you're laying cards and going and attacking storefronts and you know, the game has some weight to it, so it takes some time to, to get through a little bit. And that's always a worry as a designer, people are gonna be but I don't know. When we play, we play less than two hours, we play almost all the time, sometimes way faster if we're just kinda humming along and somebody all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, they're they're gonna have all their characters and I don't have any like I really don't have the power to go out and take them down or do anything. So you can't stop the train now, you know, that kind of thing. So that happens from time to time, but it, it's awesome, and I, I hope she 
enjoys it and, and feels that. And I think she will. I think the, the theme, it carries it well. I can't wrap up this interview without getting uh, something out of the way here. You did click. That was unsuccessful, um, yeah. but you got something out out of it. You you were you're looking at the the app side of things with that one. But for uh, the most part, I mean, as this sits on Kickstarter right now, this is the first project for Talon Strikes Studios. So uh, this is this is the first game as far as Kickstarter is concerned that you've thrown up, and you're looking for thirty five thousand dollars. How nervous is that? I mean, you know, normally the advice is your first, uh, your first project, uh, make it a smaller project, maybe several smaller projects and lead up to building the foundation to get that, that larger project finally made. Uh, you're, you're coming along right out of the gate and you've got this really large project. Kind of walk me through the, the decision making there a little bit. First of all, you, Hooch went up a, a year ago. It was, a little bit different um, game in scope and in play. Uh, I took it to Gen Con 2013. It was up at that time. It was under Kyle. So if you search Hooch, you're going to see it previous. Um, and it was a much lower amount. In that, that was bare bones. That's, okay, we can get some cards. And then if we make it, then we'll get some dice. And if we make the next thing, we'll get a box. And I mean, you know, if that would have made it, it would have been, okay, here's some cards in a bag and, and you can download your rules. Have a nice day. That's not who I am. Um, that is not me. When and, and I felt a lot of, I felt I wouldn't say pain or bad, but you just you look at that and you're like, that's I don't want that. That's not what I want. I don't want someone to get a game from me or Town Strikes and be like, okay, well, you know, some cards and a thing and great, woo, and then that's it. That is not it. So gearing up for this, you know, a year. I mean, I started on this a, a year ago when I got back from that, and and I'm like, okay, look. I got to do this the right way. And for me, the right way is what it is now. It's an all-encompassing thing. And I guess to put it out there, Skyway Robbery went through some of that because he didn't have stretch goals. He just said, my game's already stretched out. It already has all the best components. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I wouldn't say that I'm at right th- at that door at, at where I'm at with the money that I'm asking for. But where I'm at is, okay, this isn't Uno. This isn't some game. And a lot of games are you know $25, but they're... 100 or cards or less and look at what that takes to produce or get over from across seas to, to get over here. So there is a lot of stuff in this game. So we kind of made that decision. Oh, 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 probably nine, 10 now, probably, well, more than a year ago now, because it's uh, coming up on October, but that's really what we wanted to do. We, I wanted a good box. I wanted good components. I wanted good cards. I didn't want it to be this, um, you know, thing where you barely scrape it and then you don't have good stuff because you didn't make any of the goals and typically games that go up do that. So yeah, I realized 35,000 and it is what it is. And um, that's for a lot of money. And if I had 35,000 in a mattress somewhere, then I, you know, I wouldn't be where I am and, and asking people to come on and back it, but I don't, I don't want to do it any other way. Um, the game deserves every single syndicate that's been designed. It, it does. It plays differently every time you play a different syndicate. When when you buy this game, currently now as it sits, we had a, a huge uh, news came out for us, and, and we rolled that out today. Yep. Um, and if you haven't looked, it's it's a big deal. We we gave the Lethal Ladies expansion for free, so you're going to get the the base game, which is four syndicates, and then you're going to get this whole expansion, which is customized for the all female syndicate. 
So that's five syndicates. And then we've created a tier this morning where if somebody backs that, they get a make their own syndicate with us, design it, and then it will be rolled out into the game for every backer. And we had somebody back that level. So now you'd spend $39 and you get six syndicates. That's huge. I mean, you know how many cards that is and, and components and pieces and it, the value is, is gargantuan. So that is, that's why we're sitting at what we're sitting at. I don't want talent strikes to, to be that. So many companies out there, they make great games. Um, you know, you get a dice hate me game. That's it. That's what it is. You, you open the box, you unbox it, you're going through it. And, you know, it's good cardstock. It's good stuff. It's, you know, it has the right finishes. It has the right stock. And, and that's what I wanted to do. So that's why it sits at where that's what I need to do that. I've always kind of said, I mean, I, I, I appreciate, you know, what's what, what Philip did with Skyway Robbery and what you're trying to do with Hooch right now. Um, and as we all know, poor Philip was, you know, hitting refresh right up until the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but luckily it was successful, which is awesome. Uh, yes. but I've always been kind of of the mind that, you know, there somewhere along the way, we got to a point where a, a core set of backers, if you will, or, or Kickstarter users would kind of sit there and go, uh, no, if you're not look, if you're not asking for 15,000 or less, there's no way I can give you money. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it was this weird thing where there was a number in people's minds that where they would potentially, uh, click pledge above and beyond what you're asking for per game. It's, it's what you're looking for and the upfront feeling of will they or will, or will they not make it and just, just walking away. And I've always been of the mind that I would much rather have people put their projects up for what they actually need and, and sink or swim on that versus pledging or, um, uh, stretch goaling into the game you actually meant to make in the first place. Yeah, definitely. I think that hampers you as a not only as a designer but as a as a publisher because if I don't make that stretch goal and I I make the money, I make my goal, but I don't make the stretch goal with uh, X component or whatever that I needed. Is the game going to play? Is that is the gameplay going to be sucky because I didn't get that in there? And to me, I'm like, I don't want to risk that. I don't want to have that happen to me. I mean, for uh, like a great example for Hooch is the playmats. Now the, the playmats that you have, they're the neoprene. They're real sweet. They're awesome. Uh, but I can't, if I wanted to include those in every game, I have to ask for $50,000. I mean, they're, that's how, you know, they're, they're not cheap and right. you can tell they're not cheap when you get them. I mean, they're, they're really great. Right. Thing. Exactly. I mean, and a prime example of that is if you even go back Pre Kickstarter, even. I mean, if you go back to the original version of Wits and Wagers, mm-hmm. which I'm lucky enough to have, the original version of Wits and Wagers in, included that kind of playmat in it. When it finally came time to come around and do a reprint, they were like, "Hey, we just can't afford this. This, this, we can't do this anymore. We need to go to more of a like a paper mat or board or something." Uh, so they, they no longer did that style of play mat. And again, it was, you know, we just can't afford to do it anymore. It was, it was, you know, a great idea when, when we did it and we love it, but it's, it's not, it's not inexpensive to do. (laughs) 
Right. So, you know, we're, we are giving a mat to the players in the game. It's going to be a, a paper mat. Um, but the, the game plays so much, so much better with the mat that I wanted to do that. And, and originally I, that was nowhere in there, but that, you know, that costs money, a, a, a good box, good counters. There's 50 of them, 50 different counters in, in the game to, to do that. There's the action cards and the mini cards for your crew and the different stuff. So. In order to get all those things in there with what we want, plus the paper mats and then all fits in the box. And then something that cheeses me off as a player is, hey, here's this awesome game and we have all these cool things to add on to it. Go get another box because the box we designed that comes with it doesn't fit everything. Stop looking, stop looking at my shelves, Jason. <laughs> so, right. I'm with the same problem. So then you end up taking the insert out and you're throwing that, you know, that ends up getting burned in the fireplace or it goes into the recycle bin and then everything ends up in uh, Ziploc bags and all kinds of stuff, which is fine. It works for, for you, but that's not what I want for talent strikes. Now, you know, I, I want a box that, okay, if I get the, the base game that comes with the four and then I now I have this expansion and then I get the add-ons and I get you know I get the vice squad and I want to get the high rollers the political syndicate and I want to get the monarchs and I want to get uh, the palookas and I want all these different syndicates I want them to all fit in the box so that's the other thing we've done and that that takes a little bit of extra money to do that but then you don't have to worry about um, going out and doing that and AEG did that with you know smash up so Yep. I love that. That's so cool. So that's another thing that, you know, there's a little bit of cost there. Sure. But at the end, on the other side of that fence, when you have everything that fits in the box, you're going to go, good job, talent strikes. That's awesome. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I feel about that. So I, I'm right there with you. This is a, <laughs> I wouldn't say all or nothing, but it's definitely, um, you know, we didn't want to skimp. Right. And uh, I have no issues with stretch goals and all that kind of stuff. I just, my thing is I have seen in the past and have not necessarily on interview, but people that I have talked to outside of interviews that I know have kind of said, well, you know, this is what we asked for. We don't know if we can actually do it for that unless we get above and beyond. And that always worries me when I see the lower ones, it, it, knowing that I know have known people in the past that have done that. So I've almost right. kind of had the reverse of what a lot of people see. You know, a lot of people see, like I said, 20,000 and above and go, Ooh, that's not going to happen. I'm just going to walk away. I start seeing the, the, the five and less. And, and then I look at the actual, what, okay, what are you including and what's going on here? And, and is that really what you need or are you hoping to get more? <laughs> right. And, and. I don't, I didn't want to be that. I mean, I've read those horror stories too, where you have folks that they fund and then they're like, Ooh, you know, we're short. I don't know. To be honest with you, I'm already into it uh, a fair amount. I mean, the, I didn't um, skimp on the prototypes. The prototypes are, I, I think were awesome that went out and I handmade all of them. So it took a lot of, a lot of little extra bits and stuff to get in there. Um, and, you know, I had to, I had to, uh, you know, take care of that. And then, you know, advertising and mailing. I mean, you know, doing all that, that's a cost you're going to absorb. So I guess you can not do all those things and then say, okay, well, I have this backup plan. If I only barely make it, then I have this ability to put this much more money in to get it to go. But, um, you know, if we make 35000 uh, then, yeah, I can send them the game that they see on that screen with the 
good components that they see. That's important right. to me. Yeah, you know, and, and speaking a bit of and and kind of to balance the other side of asking for thirty five thousand and letting people know about the project and and what that entails, you've reached out quite a bit. I mean, you've done quite a bit on the other side to get this project out there and aware. So you want to talk a little bit about that and and let before before you do, I'll just. Uh, mention you talked about the the prototypes that you sent out and stuff and they are they're absolutely gorgeous uh, you know i've got one here obviously like i said i'm going to play again with with megan tomorrow and it's beautiful you put a lot of time and energy and detail in it you went and customized it for each person you were sending it to in some form or fashion and it was just all beautiful and you got um some recognition from my fellow club member over at Club Fantaside, uh, David Lowry wrote a nice little uh, blog post about how your marketing was working and, and something for other people to kind of use as an example. So what went into your thought process about reaching out into the industry to get some extra eyes on Hooch? Well, I, I think like most people you, that you're, you make the decision, okay, we're going to go through Kickstarter. This is how we're going to get it done. And what's the best way to do that? And there's a million blogs out there of people who, you know, um, successful campaigns, failed campaigns. This is what I learned. This is what you should do. No, look over here. Don't talk to the man behind the curtain. I mean, oh my gosh, there's so much information, you know, and, and that worked for them. Is there a, a catch all? I, I don't think so. I tell you, I sent out 19 games at, and I contacted people very early uh, on. Hey, can I send you this? Would you take a look at this? Um, and, and made the rounds and looked at who I was going to do that with. And, and, you know, what kind of games do those people play or what, you know, how do they do their reviews and, and things of that nature? So when you start talking about that, that's, that's an important part of, of doing that. Now, people that back the project, they want to know who's played this, who, who signs off on this or, you know, did, what did they like? What didn't they like? Um, you know, you're not going to like everything about every game you play, uh, definitely, but. Things, things like that. So, uh, I, I really, I did. I reached out very early and, and tried to do some of those things. And the other side of that is, um, that was my thought process behind what I sent out. I didn't want, uh, to send something that you, that you got and you were like, um, well, this is like everything else I've gotten. I didn't want that. I wanted you to get that and to go, Oh, wait a minute. This is not like everything else. And, and that's happened quite a bit with the uh, prototype. And, and to me, that's important because also the game to me is not like everything else either. Yeah, it's a card game, but it plays like a board game. To me, that's, that's different. Um, and you can go to the top of my Kickstarter and click on that video. You don't see me saying, hi, I am Jason Washburn and this is my game. No, uh, you see a, a reel and then you see a, a script that we wrote and shot and it's a, a three minute deal that talks all about prohibition and you'll see the game cards come up on the screen overlay and it's a way different approach. Now I've taken some heat for that and I've taken a lot of praise for that depending on who you talk to. Um, some, I get a lot of things. Oh my gosh, I love that. That was awesome. And then I get other guys that are like, dude, what, what are you thinking with that? But that's who I am. That's what Talon Strikes is. I am not that front of the mill dude, that's not what you're going to get with me because I'm into so many things because I've done so many things 
I think that lends itself to what you see and, and what you get when you do that. And uh, that was very important for me. And, and um, to be honest with you, when I saw that from Mr. Lowry, oh my gosh, <laughs> I was floored. I could, I mean, he didn't, I mean, I didn't know he was going to do that at all. There was no preface to that. I just sent the, sent the game out to the people and uh, folks that I had contacted. And then you, you know, you sit there and I don't know, you don't hold your breath, but you're like, okay, it's out there now. Oh my gosh. So it takes a lot of guts to do that. I think it does. And people that haven't done it wouldn't, wouldn't understand, but people that have, you know, that feeling of the first time you've designed what I consider this is like a real game. There's, you can see this on a shelf somewhere in a store. It has the ability. It has the art. It has the meat. It has the drive. It has all the components to do that. And you, you feel it when you make it. So when you send it out there, you, you're like waiting. And then that comes back and you're like, Oh, wow. That was a huge compliment to me. Um, for him to do that. I was really humbled and floored by, uh, that blog post that he put up. It was very cool. And then seeing the stuff that only weeks before I was sitting in my uh, game room here, which was a, oh my gosh, a holy mess <laughs> from all the paper and all the ink and everything that I was doing. But that was so cool to, to see. I mean, you, you just, it's, you're just in awe of that. And, um, it was really neat. Uh, I've gotten a lot of good feedback on that. It was cool. But to me, that's what you're getting. That's, uh, Talent Strike Studios and with Jason Washburn stamp. <clears throat> of coolness on it. And um, I kind of have that when I'm, you know, in my other worlds and I carry that over to making that prototype. You know, I build professional props, um, props that go on in a professional stage with professional actors that are getting paid a lot of money to stand up there and do what they're doing. And they don't want to hold some piece of crap. And that's what I felt about when I was making this game. I don't want them to play something that doesn't have depth or play something that doesn't, they don't feel what the, the theme is when they play it. And I didn't want you to open up that box when I sent my prototype and not feel the theme. And I got a lot of feedback that, you know, those folks that had the fortunate ability to do that really felt that. The Chalk did a great video for me, uh, and it's on our Kickstarter page where he unboxed his copy. And that was a custom-made box I did just for him, and that's built all by hand. Uh, you know, cut the cardboard, glued it together, did all the artwork, and, and glued that on. And, and he he was uh, he sent me a really nice email back on that, and it, it was cool. But that's that's what you get when you when um, you know you deal with me or talk to me or have me do something. And, and I really put wanted to put my heart into it. I guess is the best way to explain it. All right, so. Um we're kind of running low on time here, so I sure. I definitely I talk a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. I, I've I've enjoyed uh, listening in on on uh, what's gone into getting Hooch on to Kickstarter and, and what you're trying to accomplish. So it's it's been a, a, a great conversation. I'm I'm all I'm all ears. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. But here, here's it. here's what I want. Here's what I like to ask, and, and one of the questions I like to make sure we get in. Let's say somebody is checking out the Kickstarter page right now and they're like, um, yeah, this might be a game for me. What are a few things that you would tell them to make them go, you know what, Jason, you're absolutely right. I have to back this project right now. Well, I think, first of all, we have a couple of cool things. I mean, not only the, the game itself is is awesome, at least to me it is, and, and I hope that uh, you feel that too just by listening to what it is, but... 
I think there's some things that make it different, and um, it kind of is a double-edged sword, um, so to speak. I, I, we have a couple of things we're doing with our campaign that are not, or that I haven't seen before. It doesn't mean that um, hasn't been done. I just haven't ever been privy to it or seen it. And one of those things is the live missions. Um, a lot of times on Kickstarters, you back a project at a base level and you get the game and whatever add-ons or, I mean, whatever stretch goals come with it. You know, that's a very typical thing. But if you want something cool and personalized for you, you got to pay to get that. And a lot of people either can't afford it or aren't, you know, it's, eh, it's not, they don't want to spend the extra money just to get something like that. So we decided to do something a little different. So you back this project, not only do you get that gritty underworld, that prohibition feeling, a, a really cool game, you have the ability to do the live missions and then get personal rewards for yourself. You want a storefront with your name on it? You got it. You want uh, character cards that have names that are, and you don't need to back it at some big, huge, special level to get that. You just back it at the $39 level, do the missions, and you get that. So to me, that's a cool thing about uh, our Kickstarter, our deal. And if you go and do the mission, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's this whole other thing that I could probably talk for five hours on, but (laughs) it's a unique thing and it marries itself back into the theme because the mission is all set up like the criminal syndicate, like you're playing the game in real life. And that's why I call it a live mission. You're going to go out and and do the things that you do in the game and you're going to do it as a backer. And then you get a reward for that. You're going to get different things. Uh, So that would be one thing that I would say uh, is is really cool um, to be a part of, at least for me, the what I call the hooch experience. It's it's not just back a game and, and then sit back and get four or five updates and, oh, that's cool. And, you know, you hear a lot about that, the people that back games and they get an update and they kind of start to look at it and then and they delete it. I, I don't want that. I have a whole slew of things. We hired writers to write the backstory for hooch, um, fill out the, I mean, I can tell you the, embalmers are from Bridgewater and that's on this side of town and they hang out in the, in the funeral home and, and that's what they do. And, and here's a story that goes with that. Um, so I've done those things. I've, I've written those backstories and I've done that. And I think that that's what makes our game different. It's not just a simple uh, game that you're going to play uh, that way. It's an entire world that's built around this. So it is an experience when you read the lore and you see the different things that are, that come out in the, in the updates as far as the stories and what I call the flapper, which is the um, tabloids that come out on the different syndicates. And in that tabloid, you get the, all the stuff that talks about what that syndicate is and what's special about it. So that's what you get with this. You, you don't just get the game. You get a world that's going to be presented to you that you, hopefully we get the opportunity to build on and do some other games on this world, which would be awesome. And we want to do that. So that's what you get. You, you get that experience. You get that thing. Plus you have the opportunity to get some things that are going to be personalized for you. And you don't have to back it at some crazy level to get that. You can get a storefront card with your name on it. So I tweeted out there, if you go and look at that, like uh, Suzanne's Bakery, and that was kind of yep. going around on Twitter yesterday. Uh, I popped that out there as an example. But that's what I want to do for people. I want to give you, the game player, an experience. Trust me, I've been a game player for years. When I decided to sit down and, and really dig into this and do that, I don't think I didn't sit there and go, well, what would I want if I was playing this? What, what do I want to accomplish while playing it and as a player? So I guess that's the cool thing about doing that. I'm not... Uh, 
I'm not just looking at it as a, okay, how can I design the best mechanic to, you know, I also want to design a mechanic that gives you theme. And, and this game does that. You're going to get those things through this. And I would say back it so that you can get that experience, not only through the Kickstarter campaign itself, but also in the gameplay, because I believe it's there. All right. So now it's time for me to do this. Ready? Yeah. Hooch is on Kickstarter right now. It's going until October 20th, 2014. Actually, make that October 19th, uh, cause that's, uh, October 20th, 3.15 a.m. my time. So, uh, let's just say October 19th to be safe. Make sure you don't miss it. <laughs> so, uh, go on out there by October 19th, 2014 and check out Hooch. Again, it is a, uh, prohibition game card game where you're controlling a crime syndicate and trying to be the uh, top crime syndicate uh, when it's all said and done jason and talent strike studios is looking for thirty five thousand dollars currently a little over seven thousand dollars so definitely if you've heard what uh, some things here that you've enjoyed uh, if it sounds like a game that you're interested in at least go on out there check out the video check out the page Plenty of people have been looking at this one. By the time you hear this, I'm going to say if you if you hear this right about when it comes out, I'm going to be shooting for less than 24 hours turnaround from this to uh, us putting our video out for it as well. So you'll be able to see uh, what, what I have to say about it as well here very shortly. So again, Hooch, October 19th, 2014. Jason could use your help to make this dream a reality. Definitely go check this out and uh, give Jason and Talent Strike Studios some love because uh, this is a very cool game that I would love to see get made. And so do a lot of other people, uh, which you can see on the Kickstarter page. All right, Jason, thank you for yes. hanging out with me, sir. It's been a blast. Oh, man. No, thank you. Uh, homage to you, sir, and, and what you do, um, your tireless dedication to the folks that do this hobby. Uh, we wouldn't um, enjoy it as much as we did without guys like you and all the podcasts that uh, support those avenues of approach in, into the world. So I'm honored to have been here. Thank you so much for talking to me and give me the opportunity to let you into my world a little bit. I really appreciate that. All right. I, I don't blush, but you're getting me close there. So, uh, <laughs> uh, thank, thank you very much. I, I appreciate it, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all for love and for, uh, sharing the love and, and, and spreading the good word about, uh, everybody that's in the game design space. So I have had a great time talking to you and I appreciate, uh, having time to sit down with you. Well, thanks. Um, and uh, it's now where we sing Les Mis. We can do the, <laughs> uh, we can just do the whatever part you want. Yeah, we'll 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 come back for that. <laughs> that, come that on. That'll be when you come back. All right, everybody. There you go. That has been another Game of Crowdfunding interview. It's been a lot of fun talking to Jason and talking about Hooch. I will, of course, be back with more interviews. And, of course, the main podcast will be back soon as well. So, as always, thanks for listening. This podcast is a proud member of the GeekCast Network. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other podcasts with a geek culture slant, head over to geekcastnetwork.com, where you will find podcasts such as Two Bald Geeks, a podcast by two bald horror movie fans that dissect one horror movie a month, saving the spoilers for last. The Geek Cast Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at geekcastnetwork.com.